Listen to Natty News. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Natty News, the nattiest news show in the world. My name is Aaron Denatty, and I'm joined with my co-host, Pat Mindful Wu. Pat, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. I'm really happy to be back on the mic after a two-week hiatus. We actually meant to record last week, but my mic basically imploded on itself and uh and we couldn't get it done man dude i know it was tough like we went through so many um natty news technical difficulties and you were finishing up finals as well it's been a busy time for you so to all the listeners really apologize for this take this as our little winter break but we're going to be back at it and we have a lot of plans for some good natty news episodes and today's one i'm very very excited about but don't want to spoil it too much but first pat Let's go to my favorite part of the show, Pat's Physio Fun Fact. What fun fact have you learned in your time in physio? Yeah, so um, it's once again some anatomy knowledge again. Uh, so one of the most interesting things we did in anatomy was we went deep into the forearm. Now, prior to physio school, I'm not going to lie, I didn't know that much about the forearm. Like I knew there were like a bunch of muscles here. I know they're important. I know they move the fingers and the wrists. But like at the end of the day, it didn't affect my training. I didn't think of forearm training as an important thing. I didn't really take my grip training seriously. It's always like an accessory. It's always something you do at the end. But um, one thing we really dialed down in, in physio school is that when you look at your forearm, and where you would probably assume that the big, biggest, strongest muscle that does this and grips is this big lump that you see here, right? Yeah. You would assume that's the big lump, and that's your flexor carpi ulnaris, whatever um, fancy name. But that's actually not the prime mover or the strongest muscle that performs wrist flexion and finger flexion. And finger flexion is more important, more important than just playing the piano. It's super important because when you grip something, that's finger flexion, right? So that muscle is actually the deepest muscle. You can't see that. So we can, but you can actually try with me here. If you uh, go to your pinky, go underneath. So the bone on the, on the pinky side of your arm, that's called your ulna. Now, if you just stab right past the bone, you stab deep inside there. All right. Now you move your, move your fingers. You should feel some movement there. I do. I, I do feel that. Okay, now if you really contract and make a fist, it's going to freaking light up. Yeah, no, I can feel it flex. Feel it popping up? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so that muscle is called your flexor digitorum profundus. Very fancy name, but it just means the flexor of your fingers. And profundus means the most powerful one. It's a thick, like it's a thick ass, tendinous muscle. It is not insignificant. Like on like some of the cadavers you saw, it's like, at least this thick and some of them can be that thick oh wow so it's the most important muscle that does those two movements so um yeah so that was something really new that i learned and you know people always think of like training forms it's like there's eight muscles here that work and uh and the most powerful muscle is one that you can't even see but um definitely check it out google the muscle if you haven't seen it but like now that I've seen that, I've really taken, I've been doing some forearm curls more often and just doing like grip work and different types of grips will work different parts of your fingers. So pinch grips and, and like regular dumbbell grips. But yeah, I'm like, for me, I was so interested after seeing all the 
complexities of the forearm that uh, I'll finally work on my terrible grip strength. <laughs> Dude, that is so cool. And that's actually very interesting too. Because when if anyone trains the forearms, the most common exercises people do are like wrist curls. And so what you're saying is the wrist curl, it's going to be working out on like the um, front part of the forearm, like the one that we see that big glob of muscle. But kind of what you're saying is like the most important part is the grip strength, which comes from this deep inner muscle. So I'm kind of thinking that let's say it looked from a pure hypertrophy point of view would then like farmers carries and uh, pinching plates and that would that be a more optimal way to grow the hypertrophy of the forearm than I guess wrist curls and reverse curls and all that stuff. Yeah, the um, well, the, the that muscle that we just talked about, the flexor digitorum, that does do this motion too but however if we can only pick one thing i think the carry is the best bang for your buck because it does both of the main functions it isometrically makes you flex your wrist and it does the fingers so it works all of the muscles in your form whereas if you, when you just do this you're only kind of activating some of the muscles but not to the greatest degree if that makes sense all right. No, that's really cool, man. Um, Dang. You know, something I also wondered, though, is like what carries and stuff, what is like the optimal timing to do it? Like if you do a farmer's carry, is there an optimal timing for holding the weight? Like should you do it for a minute, 30 seconds, two minutes, 10 whole yeah. minutes? Like what would be because like it, it's not the same as a traditional rep range. What would be a good timing for um growing hypertrophy and strength when you do like a farmer's carry? Okay, so uh, in regards to farmers' carries times, it's it seems to be kind of a relative thing that's not... It hasn't been researched that much, but we would assume that it'd be based on your goals. So if it's... Whether it be hypertrophy, strength, or power, if you're looking for hypertrophy, you're looking for a little bit higher time under tension. So I would go for at least 40 to 60 seconds in a set, right? Whereas if strength is a goal... Perhaps you might go for like almost a more maximal one, like a 15 to 20 seconds for four to six sets, like almost closer to what strong men would do. Um, but yeah, like it's probably as you're going more towards the hypertrophy side, more time, more towards power, less time. What's your opinion about like plate pinches? Like, have you seen a video of uh, Brian Shaw who like, uh, pinches like two forty fives together, and it's just insane the grip strength he has. Yeah, it's. Uh, I think it's a good grip exercise. I, I think it does a really good job isolating that deep muscle again, because that it focuses on this. Uh, we call this like a lumbrical grip, right? Because there's little muscles in between your finger tendons here, and their job is to do this. <laughs> so it's. Like literally that's their job. So it, it specifically trains those muscles really well. So if you found that you're really terrible at doing plate pinch, that probably means those lumbrical muscles are not your strongest. So yeah, they can be really good for preventing like deep hand injuries and good for rehab too with the right load. Nice, nice. And just kind of one more question then with like the forearm training and stuff. So do you think there is a place for doing like reverse curls and wrist curls and stuff? Like, I guess anecdotally, like I have, I have very tiny wrists, like my bones are very small at wrist. And so I've noticed when I would be benching or even overhead pressing, sometimes it's higher lows, I can yeah. start feeling a little pain in my wrist. So I kind of started doing more wrist curls to help strengthen that. And I found that it worked, 
but I'm not sure if that's an anecdotal thing or if there's actually some value in that. So kind of um, what's kind of your opinion about these reverse curls and stuff and what could be a use case for them? Yeah, so answering wrist curls first. Yeah, I think they're they're good. Again, I I think we've established like no exercise is bad when you know the goal. Like if you're if you know your forearms are weak, I think the best way to do something about it is to do something that directly addresses it. Um such as wrist curls and they're they're really good, right? Um reverse curls. So reverse curls you just have to understand that they're good for like the back of your forearm, right? Isometrically, but they also work. This is another fun fact. So beneath your bicep, right? There's actually another muscle underneath your bicep. Yeah. So if you kind of poke from the outside of your arm, from your, from the bone and you poke right over that, and then you do some curling motions, you actually feel there's another muscle underneath that. So that muscle is more isolated when you do a reverse curl. So it's actually a good way to work that deep muscle that's in your arm there. So there's good benefit to that. Like mine is really weak because I've never done a damn reverse curl in my life. Yeah. <laughs> okay, that's interesting. Yeah, I'm on a bit. I I try to do some more reverse curls. Um, but that's actually pretty interesting about it, with especially the bicep training. I know our last physio fun fact we were talking about how to activate the bicep more. So that's pretty good. Um. Man, no, this is definitely going to change my forearm training too. See, Pat, this always happens. We do a physio fun fact, and now I completely change how I train. You don't completely change. We just add some things. Well, like, Anwar and I actually went to the gym this week, and uh, it was so funny. We did all kinds of isolation movements. And, like, years ago, you would never see us touch isolation whatsoever. It's crazy. Pat, I mean, I've been telling you, like, no joke, on my, like, upper body days, my second exercise is always side raises. I do, like, six sets of side raises. <laughs> yep. Oh, my goodness. Like, it is, it's insane now. Yeah, if um, high school Anna saw me, he'd be like, what is this dumb bro doing? Trying to get proper gains, that's what we're trying to do at this point. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Trying to maximize some of that hypertrophy. But anyways, kind of speaking about hypertrophy and bodybuilding, today's topic is going to be about mindful training and specifically about that mind-muscle connection. One of the most common things you hear Jim Rose talk about in bodybuilders and all these meatheads, they're always talking about you got to have that mind-muscle connection. And hopefully after talking today, we can figure out what the heck is mind-muscle connection? Is it worth even looking into? Is there some fake bro science? And is there any value in it? And this is something I've actually been incredibly interested in recently. Um, as some listeners might know, I've been trying to do a little more bodybuilding, trying to get some bigger arms, bigger shoulders, all that good stuff. And so it's pretty interesting about how can you try to stimulate mo- muscle growth rather than just overall strength, balance, stability, and all that. Like, if we're just looking purely from hypertrophy, what can we do? So, before we start, Pat, um, I know you and I talked a little bit before offline, but what was your thought process about mind-muscle connection? What did you think of it as a fitness professional? Um, in the last couple of years, I've really changed my mind on it. I used to be, a obviously, a, I still am, like, a proponent for compound exercises and Given not a lot of time, I think they're really important. But man, I think um, I just think back to my thought process. I'm doing most things is 
you should pick the most direct path to your goal. Um, and like if, you know, if your thought process is bigger biceps or if you've had a bicep tear and you're recovering your bicep, then you need to pick a, like a movement and be mindful of it. Like you need to think about it and, you know, cause we could even, you know, if we just do an arm curl, right? You can just do it and you don't feel your bicep flex. But if, if you've ever flexed your arm, you can do way more work. So I think it's kind of stupid that I used to think mind muscle connection wasn't a thing because for, for every time we flex in the mirror and flex our biceps, that already proves that mind muscle connection is effective and that you can definitely affect how much contraction you get in anything. Uh, if you're actually thinking about uh, what you're doing. Man, Pat, I was in the exact same boat as you. For the longest time, I thought this is some uh, BS bro science. Like, there's no, like, mind-muscle connection doesn't matter. What matters is that you're lifting with good form. You're moving the weight. You're progressively overloading. That's all you need. You don't yeah. need to do any of this. This is just some hoo-ha. Um, and recently, though, like, kind of similar to you, I've gone completely 180. I'm actually now a very big believer of it. <laughs> and... Um, I was actually looking at some studies. Um, are you familiar with Mass? It's like a little bit of a fitness um, research magazine thing done yeah. by Greg Knuckles. Yeah, I know, I know Mass. Yeah, I recently got a subscription for it. Fantastic oh. for those who haven't. Oh, those who want to learn, they do a great job of summarizing pretty complicated articles in like layman terms. Like I don't have any physiology background i don't know a lot of these big fancy terms you throw around pat and yeah. even for myself it understands it and they had a great one about the mind muscle connection and the history of it in literature and so for the longest time um a lot of academics kind of agreed that mind muscle connection this is some bro science this is just some fake stuff the most important thing you need to do is focus on your movement patterns. Where yeah. when you do a squat, bench, deadlift, whatever movement you're doing, you really want to focus on that movement, keeping your chest up, shoulders back, uh, making sure that everything's tight and you're moving well in 3D space was like the yeah. key. And they did a lot of research and it's found that when you do have that mentality about focusing on movement, you have more stability, you have more, uh, you're able to create more first production, and there's a lot of gains coming from there, and especially from a strength perspective. But recently, studies shown that um, individuals who focus more on just that pump, like that mind-muscle connection, feeling the squeeze of that muscle, specifically the studies were done with bicep curls and leg extensions. Yeah. They found people who were focusing on that pump, that squeeze when you're doing a bicep curl, got 50% more gains than those who are just focusing on doing the movement. Um, and the strength gains were the same. So both of them gained the same strength, but with relative muscle mass, a 50% increase in muscle mass was intense. Um, yeah. Interestingly enough, though, they found with leg extensions, there was no difference in quad development in both groups. And it kind of opens up an argument about, you know, it's a little harder to understand quad flexion compared to a bicep flexion. Like you can go to anyone and be like, flex your biceps and they can do it. Yeah. But then like maybe understand flexing your quads can be a little trickier. Same thing with like hamstrings and calves and other lower body movements. Um, so that's an interesting idea on itself. But it seems pretty well um, confirmed that doing those squeezes, doing that focus on what muscle you're using really can lead to greater hypertrophy that 
Yeah, that's part of that's news to me. Like I uh, unfortunately do so much studying that I don't read any articles in my own time. But <laughs> that's really cool. And uh, one thing I would think about there is, you know, bodybuilders. All bodybuilders are elite uh, at voluntarily contracting their muscles. Right? We can agree on that. Um, you know. Like, for example, I'm really bad at doing, like, leg poses every time I've tried. It's actually a disaster to try to contract your quad and your hamstring at the same time. It's hard. And, and where I know you have the worst lat spread on the entire planet, right? <laughs> and, and I think it's cool. It's like it raises the question, can these people that have really good ability to maximally contract their muscles on their own just without external load, you know, can they make more gains like that? Is that an avenue for people to make more progress? It's very interesting to think about. Well, dude, I don't know if you remember this, but in an old Kai um, Green training video, and for those who aren't aware, Kai Green is probably one of the greatest bodybuilders who never won a Mr. Olympia. Yeah. Actually, I would say the greatest who never won Mr. Olympia. Yeah. Um, and phenomenal physique, all that good stuff. You know what was his main chest exercise? It wasn't bench press. It wasn't any crossover. It wasn't any fly. What was his main chest exercise? Uh, I don't know. Uh, wait, not crossovers? Not crossovers. Not, not, not flies. Not flies, not bench pressing. His main chest exercise was a dumbbell pullover. Oh, okay. Yeah, and, I can see that. And for the, uh, most people, when they see a dumbbell pullover, it's, it's a lot exercise. But Kai Green was making an emphasis about when he does it, he is just contracting his pecs to move his arms forward. Like, it is all pecs, all chest when he's doing that. And for me and you, we try to do that. We're not going to move any weight. Yeah. But because he just has such a deeper understanding of mm-hmm. using his muscles, it's very effective for him. And so I think that's kind of one of the best examples of showing like an elite bodybuilder having such a deep and thorough understanding of the mind-muscle connection to be able to do that. Yeah, yeah. And that's a, that that's really cool because it's, it's a skill that regular people don't have. Even people like me and you, we can lift for 20, 30 years. We don't have that skill and like they have the power to put the emphasis where they want it, when they want it to. That's really cool. Yeah, and and so it really made me start thinking more about my training and thinking about how do you use this mind-muscle connection because I think we can both agree, though, when you're doing a squat, you're not going to be thinking about, like, okay, is my left quad activating now right? Is my glute hamstring? Like, there's so much going on there. You can't really think of all that. Yeah. Um, And it really is important to focus on the overall, like, your positioning through 3D space when you're doing, like, a compound lift. But... When you're doing any isolation work, I think, man, the mind-muscle connection for isolation work is game-changing. Yeah. Yeah, that that's... It's interesting. And, you know, as a coach and as someone who's going to be prescribing exercise as a physio one day, one of the things that happens with, with injury is that uh, people... Like, if someone hurt their bicep, for example, it will be their inclination to not use their bicep. But we're trying to rehab the bicep. So what a regular physio would do would be to give them some bicep exercise. And it'd be really interesting to think about. They could probably get away with doing their homework, three sets of 10, and actually not use the muscle nearly as much as they want to as if I simply gave them the cue. I want you to squeeze the bicep and feel it contract as it works. And hey, if that alone can give them more progress, isn't that such a cheap, low-cost, effective way to get people better progress? 
Dude, completely. And that's actually another thing I was thinking about is the importance of practicing flexing. Like, yeah. as mu- <laughs> like, I mean, as much as you might be seen as like your typical gym douche, I, I actually think there's a huge value in learning how to pose. I mean, when you and I were working out, I was asking you for tips about doing a side tricep just because like, I kind of see so much value in learning posing now just to gain that mind muscle connection. Yeah. Like, um, I mean, you're right, man. My lat spread is probably one of the worst poses I can possibly do, but uh, I'm going to keep working on it because I do truly believe getting that down will help me better activate those muscles that I'm just not feeling right now. Yep, absolutely. Well, Andrew, what would you say is your strongest muscle group? Um, You know, see, here's a funny thing. I think my back is my strongest muscle group. Like my latch and my back, I think, are very strong. And it's funny that I then struggle with doing a lat spread, even though I do think my back is very, very strong. You probably have more gains to make once you learn to really, really contract them. Yeah, like it, it is kind of funny that way. I, where it's funny because I feel like um, one of the things I found is that I used to get so many bicep injuries in the past. Yeah. And I used to always train my curls and I used to all do that, but I never made any gains until recently where now I'm very much focused on that contraction. Like it, it made me think about, oh, I forget who said this, one of these famous bodybuilders, maybe Ronnie Coleman, where when you go to the gym, you have to de- determine, are you a weightlifter or are you a bodybuilder? Like, are you going there just to move weight yeah. or are you going there to build something? And now that's something I'm really thinking about a lot. Definitely. And, and as someone who is a weightlifter, when I do my accessories, it's something I think about too. Like I used to just, um, and not to say it doesn't work, but a lot of like my other weightlifting friends, when they do accessories, they just blow through them quick. They go as heavy as possible. And there's an argument for that. But for me, like when I do a hamstring curls, I'm so weak. Like I do them slowly. I, I focus on contracting the full muscle uh, almost like trying to make it cramp and I found it to be really effective and even carrying over to my lifts because um, when I like if I'm trying to brace and load my hamstrings I can feel them better now because I have a better awareness of it yeah dude and that's a big thing is about lifting with too much weight as well like I think for someone who is trying to do more hypertrophy one of the key things I found to help with that connection is dropping the weight like um yeah especially uh i don't know about you pat but do you ever feel your chest in bent yes see for a long time i never really felt much bench like chest like i wouldn't actually even get that sir in my chest before until recently like i dropped all the way back down to 135 yeah. like if you recall um when me and you trained before like i was able to do two plates for 10 plus yeah. and so i went back 135 and just focused so much on like flexing my chest chest just really trying to get that and like now yeah. i start feeling it now I, I get like a pump and everything and like for years and years of lifting i never felt that and it's, it's kind of mind-blowing it kind of makes me look at things so differently now yeah and it's it, i think it's also it's fun too you know from i think a lot of our listeners are people who weight lift lift heavy like to power lift casually or competitively and it's such a fun new way to think about it where instead of just let's move more weight today, it's let's, how much better can we get our contraction today? Like how much more mindful can we get? Can we actually get it to hurt less in my shoulders and feel more in my chest? 
and that's like a victory in itself, right? So it's it's a new way to keep things fresh after a lot of years. And dude, it's also another thing too about mindfulness when working out. I think a big thing is people can get very robotic, including myself, where I go in there, I have a set amount of sets and reps to hit with certain weights, and I'm not really thinking about why I'm doing this work. Yes. Oh yeah, I, I, I say this every day at like work to people, and I don't follow it half the time. But it's <laughs> like your three sets of five at whatever seventy pounds can look like there's so much spectrum in how much progress you could make from those that three sets at the same weight. Like it can be night and day, and that's usually what matters even more than the sets and reps. How you do it, man, dude. I know it's huge, and also like rep quality as well. Like really focusing for those reps, making sure you're activating what needs to be done. Um, if you're familiar with Alpha Destiny, who is uh, this YouTuber, great content and all that, he recently was able to do a four or five pull up. So he weighs about one. <laughs> 170, 180, and he threw on an extra 130 pounds, so 400 pound pull up, which is, which is insane. Like that's an insane feat and a great thing. And he was talking about the journey to get there. And like one thing he was talking about was like when you train, every rep should be the same. It should be a full dead hang. You should have your chin way over the bar. Like you shouldn't just be half assing 10 reps on the pull up bar. Like every single one. You should think about and really focus on getting the full contraction, full range of motion and everything. And I fully believe that for both strength and hypertrophy is being thoughtful of every single rep. Yeah, yeah. The, the more you're thoughtful about it, I think it's most things in life, right? Like if you put some effort in and you concentrate, <laughs> you're going to get better results. And I think it's especially true for those smaller muscle groups like um, we talked a lot in the last couple episodes about side raises, my new favorite lift. Uh, I can't wait to set the new side raise world record. I'll be doing the 50s in no time. <laughs> um, and Pat, how many years have we done side raises? <laughs> how many years have we just picked up the 15 pounds, just banged out some reps, and like literally have made no gains at, at all? Like At least 10 years, and I can literally say I've made... I might have made negative gains at this point. I still cannot do the 25s. Like, I think about it, we might have done a thousand sets of side raises. And I don't think I've gained any of my side delt hypertrophy or very minimal amount. But now, like, I try to focus so, so much on that, like, feeling it in those side delts. And I've, I've noticed, um, on, I've, well, I've noticed strength gains. I haven't measured, but I feel like they've gone bigger, too. So it's like, it really is a game changer with that thoughtfulness. Well, like, I kind of feel like if I shut down my mind and I do some deadlifts, I'm going to make some gains. But with these smaller accessory movements, you got to you do got to focus on it. You can't just, like, half-ass it as much as I used to. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, Amber, do you, so you looked in the research, and it shows like it works pretty well. Do you know a lot about why the mind-muscle connection, like, what it changes physiologically? You know... I don't, but I'm going to give a guess. It's because th when you move a weight, like our bodies aren't so like stiff where there's only each muscle only does one thing. So it's kind of like, I imagine when I used to do a lot of those like side raises, you know, I have pretty big traps. I have pretty strong traps. So I feel like what ended up happening is my traps took most of that load where I kind of shrug up a bit and I get Damn. more of a trap exercise 
then I do would get the side delts. But then when I kind of just like very much focus, like I am only using this little side delt, then you kind of start uh, feeling it there. That would be my guess of what's happening. You got it. That's dude. That this is the engine. This is why you're an engineer. <laughs> well, it is like, yeah, because there's more than one way. Like with the the sideways, a very easy example of compensation because you can do a lot of people. Like if you watch my shoulder, it, I do. It's this one. It's this hiking shoulder with the yeah. recruiting the big trap into play. Like that is like probably I'm. I feel like sixty percent of people who do side raises literally do it that way. Right. Um, or there's other muscles. Like there's a muscle that like it's, it elevates your scapula. Right. So again, there's a lot of different ways. Or you could, people use momentum. You see, you know, the weird dance move version of the side raise. <laughs> but then when you really go slow, you try to think about pulling your elbow upwards and being mindful of that. And then you realize the 30 pounds you might have been pumping, you might be able to do only 15. And it's, yeah, it's, it's about concentrating to find the way that you want to move rather than just letting your body pick the most efficient way to move, which is in our context today, we'll call that that's the weightlifting part of it. Whereas with the bodybuilding or the muscle building, you have to pick how you want to move that weight. Yeah, no, and I fully agree. And that's so true. And I think that's a big thing is that when I started thinking about that, like I used a bench press as an example. Yeah, I am much weaker than I thought I was. I thought I was a, a, a benching two plates. But look, once I start focusing on it, I'm all benching two plates like that. But but I mean, you were trying to move weight before. That's okay, yeah. too. But but now if if your goal is to build your chest, and you're always frustrated, then you might have to take some weight off the bar and, and change the way you go about it. Yeah, it really is like a goal thing. Um, and so now one of the big things I wonder is, so thankfully you and I, we have a pretty good base. We've worked out for many years. We were able to kind of without thinking about it, develop some mind muscle connections. Like, um, I, when I talk about like, oh, um, working like maybe your rear delts or traps, we can probably feel it and know how to like activate that. But those muscles might be a little harder for someone who's starting out working out to kind of feel and identify and like side delts too like it's very hard to maybe feel these muscles working so from your point of view if someone's kind of beginning off and doesn't have that how could they maybe establish a mind muscle connection how can they start working on gaining that like someone listening to this and they're like yeah this sounds great but how do i feel that yeah the the easiest way if you're not very familiar is to perform, like, if you're trying to get a certain muscle to perform the exercise that puts that muscle in its greatest, like, mechanical advantage. I'm throwing out big words today. <laughs> but, like, an exercise where it biases that muscle, right? So, if we said, for example, we talked about bicep curls the other week, right? So, if you do a curl with your thumb up like a beer can, that can work your bicep. That is a function of biceps, but it's not at the most advantage. So, but whereas if you do the supination style, right? That we talked about all the time that already biases the bicep so much that there's probably little else that can be the prime mover in that movement. So that's probably the easiest way to start. And there's something like that for every muscle. You just have to find the right exercise and, um, and that's probably the easiest way. And then, you know, from there you can practice posing. And again, uh, if you know what the muscle does and that's, you know, that's how you're going to do it. Like if you know bicep does supination and flexion, then you you can practice that and the muscle will flex quite well. So 
that's kind of my tip. You know, I think that's a great tip. Um, yeah, can you maybe give some examples of maybe other ones? So we talked about the super nation for biceps. Uh, sure. Let's talk actually about some leg exercises because, again, yeah. with the research I talked about, it's very difficult for people to feel the differences, uh, like kind of focus on quad development when they do a leg extension. So what are maybe some things to help with that? I know you're a big proponent for hamstring curls, and I think that would probably be a good one for someone to really feel the hamstrings is doing that. Yeah. yeah. Uh, for the legs, I mean, leg extension is probably a good way to, to start uh, in terms of feeling of that. Or like an eccentric exercise will start to, like if you have never felt it before, like have we talked about reverse Nordic curls? I believe so, but I'll go over it again for some who might have not listened to previous ones. So it's pretty hard to, so I'll, I'll try to explain it from, uh, just verbally. Like if you were kneeling, tall kneeling, kind of like, yeah, just tall kneeling and you're squeezing your butt. And then so think of everything from your head to your knee as one straight line and none of that will bend. You will then bend that. You will basically bend backwards like the matrix, like, yeah. like Keanu Reeves, right? And then as you do that, because you're, quad is trying to keep you from falling on your head against gravity, your quad is completely stretching and contracting. So you'll feel your quad light up like never before. If you do that movement, there is basically nothing else that can save you except your quads, a little bit of your core. So that's a good example for uh, for quads. And then for hamstrings, yeah, like a seated or a laying uh, laying prone hamstring curl is probably the best way. Like we've talked about like how RDLs are very popular, but um, like, for example, I, uh, for one of my exams, we did like a regular manual muscle test with a hamstring where just laid on my back and then just have like someone put one arm and resist hamstring. Okay. And I, my classmate is admittedly not a weightlifter, does not move a lot of weight. Okay. And let me tell you, I did not get my knee to 90 degrees. She beat me with just literally like this much force, right? And I can RDL probably somewhere close to 400 pounds. I could not resist like a single arm against me. So, you know, the like it really proves specificity. My hamstring strong in one position, but it was not strong in this position of flexing the knee. So, yeah, um, if you put the exercise that isolates that muscle, you will feel it, like guaranteed. There's nothing else that can do it. Man, that's great. Um, Yeah, no, I, I actually feel RDLs, funny enough, I feel them more in my glute than I do in my hamstrings a lot of times. That's sensible. Like, yeah, yeah, sensible. Mm -hmm. I mean, still love them. RDL is such a great lift. Um, You know, actually, Pat, I was thinking, and this might be an unpopular opinion I have, I think face bowls are a little overrated now. Because I was thinking about it, when I do a face bowl, and maybe I'm not doing it right, maybe you and I, we need to check it out a little more, I don't feel as much of that, like, rear delt activation as I do with, like, a reverse pec deck now, or even, like, reverse flies. Um, I kind of feel like face bowls, I'm not feeling as much as that, um, like, goodness in the back compared to other exercises. I'm kind of losing favor in them a bit. Let's talk about face bowls a little bit. So... The thing with the face pull is because it's, it's a, it's not a compound movement per se, but it, it requires multiple movements. So for people who are naturally shoulders forward and hunched and bad with shoulder rotation, 
you can get away with it with with the form that's continues to like bias that right so the way you're supposed to do a face pose you're supposed to pull your elbows back while pulling your thumbs behind you oh. like like you're trying to like you know like you're like a frat boy trying to flex at their uh their like jersey number on the back or like you're trying to like sheath two swords in your back like zoro <laughs> if you do that motion then your rotator cuffs turn on but like Anwar, I know you have four shoulders and they're tight. Yeah. You're gonna have a hard time doing both those things at the same time. So, um, that's why, like, it it can be overrated. Like, it's not as simple as just do face pulls and you'll fix your shoulders. It's there's a lot of context and perhaps reverse fly. What the hell else are you gonna do rather than pull your shoulders back? So, that's a simple and direct way to target that problem if that's what you have. Dude, see that is so interesting and. I probably shouldn't have used overrated because no exercise truly is overrated. There's always a use for it. But for me, yeah, I wasn't feeling the benefits always proposed for it. Like, it's always like you have a messed up shoulder. Just do a bunch of face pulls. And like, um, as you know, we were training and I was talking about how my shoulder was bothering me a bit. I was doing a bunch of face pulls and nothing. Yeah. And then I started thinking about like, what am I even feeling when I do a face pull? Like, what am I activating? Like, I get a little pump in my traps. I get maybe a little bit of like a little shoulder stuff, but not much. And it's like, what am I doing here? And so I think though that is a lesson though about like when you exercise something, you got to think, why are you doing this movement? Like, are you just moving weight? Which is valid. I mean, getting stronger in certain positions is totally valid. But are you trying to grow something? And if so, are you feeling it? Are you feeling that result? Yeah. And I think once you think about that, that debunks a lot of the BS in the industry. Like, you know, when you when you see the next Joel Seedman meme, you're like, what does this actually do? And why is this better than, than, than what you're already doing, right? Or why is this not better? Oh, dude, I am this close to doing a Joel Seedman uh, workout block. I'm just going to be doing all that stuff. The only problem is I just couldn't take all that equipment. He just uses too much stuff. I don't want to burden my fellow gym goers. Yeah, man. I'm going to turn on light. Give me five seconds. Oh, no worries. Um, well, Pat is kind of turning on the light and getting that all set up. I think w- one of the big summaries for this and one of the big things to take away is really knowing the importance of why you're training. Uh, as the great Ronnie Coleman says, everyone wants to be a bodybuilder, but no one wants to lift these heavy-ass weights. But he should have really been saying, no one wants to think about lifting these weights or you know what nowadays everyone wants to be a weightlifter but no one wants to think about being a bodybuilder <laughs> uh you know i know we're near the end and this doesn't have anything to do with um mind muscle connection but i wanted to ask you pat and i forgot to ask you this at the beginning how do you feel about the new um olympic committee might be removing weightlifting oh man yeah that's a that's a touchy subject it's it's like it's hard to it's hard to kind of go against that decision because there's so much drug use in the sport and that the problem with the weightlifting the IWF is that they they're not even like trying to pretend that there's change happening. Mm-hmm. So you know, recently some 17 year old Bulgarian won at Worlds, and and let's just say this Bulgarian looks he's 17 but he's looking like he's going on 30. I think um, I've seen him. I think I saw it on IG. 
Yeah, and like like that stuff, that type of stuff is like, like you already, it's, it doesn't take a genius or a sports scientist to know. This is a, a teenager that was given steroids from mm-hmm. probably maybe prepubescent, right? So like you see stuff like that. He's a world champion now, so it's so obvious. Like you look at that and it's like a, it's a blatant drug issue. You know, it's, there's not even like attempts to stop it and they're celebrating it. And, you know, I think, uh, I had a conversation with some friends, like me and my friends are kind of the part of the problem because we love seeing Lasha snatch 225. We love seeing world records broken, but we know these people are on some serious gear. So I like, yeah, I, I, I think the community and the weightlifting board is part of the problem. And if nothing changes, then. I don't really see another way out. Yeah, man. No, it's a it's a tough situation, and it, it is pretty surprising though, just because like um, weightlifting has been such a staple in the Olympics. But you're right, the steroids and the drug abuse it does bring up a lot of questions. And it also is the same thing with the audience. Like same thing with powerlifting as well, where people want to see world records be broken, and at some points, like the only way you can do that is you gotta take some stuff. Yeah, but. I'll tell you my take on it, like how I would like it though, ideally. And with most sports is, now I don't know how you feel about this, Amor, but for me, my favorite part about sports is like the competitiveness. Like, Mm -hmm. you know, like for example, if I saw a couple less windmill dunks in the NBA, it would not be the end of the world. What I like to see are actually like, like I'd go for a competitive, good game that's like separated by a couple points over like a 50 point blowout win any day, right? And even when I'm watching like, like Canadian weightlifting nationals, which they don't lift nearly the same amount, but if it's competitive and it's down to the last three lifters and they're all within two to three kilograms and it's a real fight and you really don't know who's going to win and suspenseful, I think it's entertaining. Like same thing with like, uh, you know, like, like any type of sport, right? Uh, as long as it's competitive, it needs to be a certain quality, obviously, but as long as it's competitive, I don't personally care that world records are being broken as long as it's competitive. But again, you might have other opinions. Well, no, I completely agree with you, Pat. I mean, uh, I've gone to a few of your weightlifting shows, and to me, everyone who goes there is amazing. Like, I can't do any of that. So I'm always shocked seeing any lift, whether it be a 100-kilo clean and jerk or a 150-kilo uh, uh, clean and jerk. It's all, like, insanely impressive to me. Uh, and I agree with you, like, the most exciting part is when, like, it's a, someone who just needs to gain that, like, 10 kilo clean and jerk, and there's someone uh, super close to them, and they're going back and forth, and they're just going at it. Like, that's the fun part of it. Uh, so I agree with you. I think the weights don't matter as much. Um, but at the same time, people love to say world record. People love to see numbers go up, even though it doesn't make much sense. But, yeah, we'll see yeah. what happens with it. It's... It's a tough situation. And also, I-, I hate to say it, but I think, though, a natural league wouldn't be very popular. Like, if you have a natural and a um, non-natural league, like, I, it's a shame. Like, examples with, like, natural bodybuilding. There are unbelievable athletes who have built amazing physiques, who have worked insanely hard to get there. But Exactly. Yeah, no one really seems to value them. Like, it's like, oh, why do I care about you when, like, Chris Bumpseed existed? I mean, Chris is a phenomenal athlete, but, yeah. It's a, it's a cultural problem, right? Like, the fans can't pretend they're not a bit of the part of the problem. 
when their favorite weightlifters, bodybuilders, whatever are, they want, they always want the biggest, strongest ones, which are obviously on a shit ton of drugs. And you keep, you know, if that's the, if they're the ones you keep reposting on Instagram or the ones that you, you're always idolizing, then yeah, like that's the problem. You love a sport where your favorites are all drugs. So I don't know what to say. Yeah, but anyway, that's an interesting thing. And yeah, I no, definitely want to hear your opinion as um, a pretty high-level competitor in the sport. Um, do you think your love for the sport would change at all if it was removed from the Olympics? Mm, no, not really. I, I like. I really hope the sport goes the right way if it was in the Olympics where they crack down a little bit on the drugs. But I have a, my only fear is that it becomes a full-on, like a drug chemical, like experiment where everyone is just like okay it's not the olympics we're gonna take so many drugs now and take as many as possible like i really hope that doesn't happen because it'd be a it'd be a shit show and also you'd like you'd see people getting hurt like that's that's not good for people too to maximize the amount of steroids you're taking dude this is gonna be a last little bit on this but um johnny candido he's been having a lot of videos about powerlifting and drug testing and he actually had one about how much does the ipf truly a test and i was shocked with how many like world record holders aren't drug tested like they claim to be but they have no tests on records yep they're they're on drugs <laughs> yeah and it's just like and you what you really feel for those who are being honest like the uh, men and women who are putting in insane works really working exactly. and not getting not getting the recognition they deserve for that but man yeah drug testing and lifting sport i mean drug testing and uh fitness culture is just yeah it's a it's a mess it's a fiesta <laughs> yeah it's a fiesta right like what i just want to see is like i'd be perfectly ha- happy seeing the natural human limit you know but now we're gonna never know because like like even like people who you think might be natty they could be on drugs so i don't know it's tough yeah i know me and you we actually talked about this yesterday about like if no drugs existed who would be Mr. Olympia? Yeah, we don't know. <laughs> yeah, you, you never really know about that. Uh, but again, um, I, I do think there is a bit of a fun to see about with, like, what is the true human potential with everything there, with all drugs, all everything, what is it? I think there is a, uh, a, some fun in that too, but also some fun in, like, what is your natural potential? Yeah, well, that's... And also going back to our topic, <laughs> uh, like, there's a lot of fun in seeing your own human potential. So I, I, yeah. I know I'm not on drugs, so, you know, it's, it's a lot of fun to see what you can do. And, and uh, also it gives you context when you look at pro athletes. It's like, holy shit, picking up 500 pounds is really damn hard. How is somebody picking up 1,000 pounds? You know, Pat, it would be very ironic if you were on drugs on a show called Natty News. <laughs> uh, just, just if, if I start, like, blowing up the screen, if I start filling out the whole screen, then... You guys know what's happened. Anyways, I think that's a good closing point. We got some good stuff in there. We had a little fun chit-chat about drugs and weightlifting. But anyways, thank you so much for listening. Thank you for being patient about the newest episode. Hope you all are making a lot of Natty gains. Natty News out. Natty News out. Hope you all enjoyed this week's episode of Natty News. If you'd like to learn more, be sure to check out our website, www.natty.news. 
As well, check out our Instagram Natty News Podcast and Facebook page Natty News if you want to get a bit more Natty information.